There's just a lot of room to create visible inclusion by just using cues such as pronouns and pride flags that I think can go such a long way. Because I know when I was fresh out of college and interviewing a job, seeing like the, the safe space triangle on the door of an office or seeing that a company was working to be on the human rights campaign list of corporate equality index companies that were striving towards equality in their workplace. I mean, that's huge. It immediately lets you know they care about me and they care about who I am at work. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Copperleaf Financial. Held to the fiduciary standard of care, Copperleaf develops a financial plan specifically for you, integrating every aspect of your life. They offer comprehensive wealth planning services, including sustainable investing solutions. To find out more, visit copperleaffinancial.com. I am here today with Rose Fireman. She is an economist and advocate for the LGBTQ plus rights. And we met none other than on LinkedIn and then had a great conversation about diversity and inclusion. And I thought, you know what? I really want to have Rose on the Breaking Money Silence podcast. So she has joined us today and I am really excited to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Rose. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, we had a great conversation. And so I want you to fill the audience in a little bit about who you are and why you decided to spend some time with me today, um, Breaking Money Silence. Yeah, who I am boils down to probably the way I think about things, which is definitely the, the frame of economics. I'm a marginal utility person. I'm always thinking about where I can increase efficiency. And that sounds dorky, but it's true. I'm always trying to do a million things at once in my personal life. And I think a lot of that comes down to how I think about how the world works in terms of my economics training. I have a strong background in in data work, large data work in terms of my career. But on a personal note, I live in Denver, Colorado, where it's incredibly hot and smoky right now. And I live in Colorado because I love to be outdoors. I also do a lot of work in the LGBTQ community in my city. I saw a strong need for larger professional networks for queer people and LGBTQ people. And so I've, I've been working with a group of people in my community to connect pro- professional LGBTQ people, what we like to call professional gays, and get us in the same room, get us talking, have us connect on issues that are important to us, that are important within the organizations that we're a part of. And it's really become a really important part of my life as well as my professional network. And I connected with you because I was, I was reaching out to people in the inclusion and diversity space, but I had recently become interested in financial therapy through a different podcast that we had talked about. And when I saw your bio, I was immediately intrigued because it's, it was sort of a new realm to me in terms of connecting people's financial well-being to their emotional well-being. I want people to understand a little bit more about 
how identifying as somebody who's queer and being in a couple, how that does or doesn't impact your view of money and wealth? I trace a lot of my background and my interest in personal finance to my grandfather. I was lucky enough to have a living grandparent in my life who was really, really smart and perceptive about long-term wealth management. And wealth sometimes makes people think of millions of dollars, but really that's just the ability to retire at a reasonable age. In my mind, that's my construct of it. And I think I think having that figure in my life who was always thinking about the future, I think there's long-term thinkers and there's short-term thinkers. And my grandfather was by far and away a long-term thinker. I think that that sort of created this um, paradigm in my mind of always thinking ahead and planning ahead for the future, which I think is sometimes something I'm critical of my own peers about. I don't know if we always stop and think, and I'm talking about millennials because I know that that's an important part of my identity. I don't think we always stop and think about the future but my my personal finance interests definitely sparked from my from my grandfather, but also struggled into my life in terms of wanting to be independent as a queer person, and especially as a as a queer woman. I don't think I had any mentorship besides my grandfather was lucky enough to have. There was no other mentorship about money and personal finance. I couldn't even tell you how to balance a checkbook. That wasn't a skill set that I learned. Things like that weren't passed on to me because I think there's sometimes a heteronormative assumption that there would have been a, a man in my life who would have had those skills and I would have like that would have been the compliment to my lack of money skills and I always had the strong desire to fill in that gap myself because I wanted to be empowered. You know, when you look around the world and you think what how do I get to go on these trips I want to go on or have these things I want to have? It all comes down to being financially self-empowered to get those things. But my grandfather taught me a lot about investing in the stock market. He was somebody who immigrated to the US and then bought property when he could and owned his own business. He made um, fur coats, which is something that people don't do anymore. And he just worked really hard and saved and saved and saved and definitely practiced the, the mindset of living below his means, which is a skill that I'm constantly practicing and trying to be better at. Um, I think that it's super important for long-term financial empowerment to just always be many steps below your means. And that's kind of my own personal mantra. But I think that influence of having an immigrant grandparent who really wanted to prove himself in this country and and um, pass on that knowledge to the next generation is something I'm just privileged enough to have. I don't, I don't know if everyone gets that lucky, but then as a woman and as a queer person, that knowledge was totally missing from my life. And I'm always trying to learn more about it and also connect with more queer people and especially women about financial well-being. I think it's a really overlooked skill set. It's something we're not taught in school. It's something a lot of us don't get from parents. And it's critical to your, to your well-being. And what's interesting is there's a couple of different things in there. So one is the assumptions that people make about millennials and you being a millennial, you can speak about your mm -hmm. peers and what you feel they are or are not doing. And it sounds like you wish a lot of your friends were thinking more into the future. Can you say just a little bit about that? I think a lot of it, we, a lot of it I think comes down to I'm, under 30, I've lived through, this is my second major recession. That kind of impairs your ability to think long-term when you have already experienced two crippling economic downturns. And I'm sure there's been smaller ones that have wiped out different subsets of people, but the larger ones that you know I see in the market that I interact with, that can really change your mindset. Does it make sense to buy a house? If you could lose your primary source of income, 
within the time frame of trying to pay off your mortgage. Those aren't things that I don't think my parents had to think about as much because their stability in the job market was a little bit more assured than mine is. And I think I think some of that instability for people my age that we see growing up around us can shape the way you want to think about long-term wealth. I we I think a lot of millennial a lot of people associate millennials with the experienced generation like we'll pay for experiences more so than we'll pay for things. And I don't think that's a bad thing all the time. I do think there's a lack of long-term savings. If you look at the knowledge gap in people's ability to understand what their 401k is and what it does and how they should be using it and how much they should be setting aside in it, I think that there's a real gap in my generation in terms of how we think about that. Honestly, I think because a lot of us don't even think we'll get to retire or we'll retire with years of like 15 years of um, work-free life, I think for a lot of people that that won't be true. And it's a double-edged sword because it doesn't look possible. So people aren't saving and preparing for it. I think the other thing you mentioned was, you know, being a woman, but also being a queer woman. And so being a woman, a grandfather assume, like a lot of grandfathers assumed, that you would be marrying a male and in a more traditional relationship, for lack of a better word, I guess the underlying message still is whether you are queer or straight, uh, bisexual, it doesn't matter, that somehow women aren't supposed to know because somebody else is going to be taking care of them. And that just, with all due respect to grandpa, because it's everywhere, that just is what I am fighting against, that we really need to take care of ourselves, no matter how we identify, because it's our responsibility. And so you have done that. And so what do you think grandpa taught you that has been really important in you taking care of yourself? And where do you think he might've missed the mark? Yeah, I think um, having the long-term investing mindset is critical. The theory of value investing, of um, investing a little bit every month or every week, whenever you have the ability to, to invest long-term in, you have to think about the stock market as gaining over decades, not over months or weeks. I think people that try and time the market typically get fooled. So I think setting aside, or it's mostly stepping into the mindset of I'm going to invest whenever on a regular cadence to whatever ability is, to whatever I can that is safe for me. And you have to do a lot of calculations on your end to figure out how much you're able to to invest. But I think long-term investment in something that has returns is really critical. And there's a lot of research and information, which is part of what makes it so unapproachable. It always feels like the person next to you is smarter than you, which is really scary about investing, but it's critical and needs to start early and often. That was something he taught me. Also real estate, which is like the, the thing I get most excited about. So the story of my grandfather was he bought real estate early in the little coal mining town that I grew up in. He ended up getting really lucky in that somebody wanted to put in a mall and bought bought the real estate that he owned and put up a mall. And it ended up being, I think for him, this lesson in, um, this sounds so old fashioned, but they're, they're not making any more land. So you might as well buy more of it. And that's kind of always been instilled in me in terms of real estate. And if you're a landlord, the, the rental income you can get from renting properties, I think can be a really safe way to invest in a long-term investment. Um, You have to do your research, of course, if you live in a market or are going to rent in a market where property prices are going down over time, which is something you should be mindful of. It might not be such a great investment, but I've always been really passionate about rental income because I think it's just a great, stable way to develop equity in a home, but also um, have that additional income for yourself. It's a really nice passive income stream, which is another financial tool I'm very passionate about. Awesome. So is there anything that your grandpa missed the boat on? 
Um, I was avoiding that because I was like, I'm not going to say that about him. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think um, there, the frugality that, so the other thing, I think a lot of us are shaped by the economic cycle we live in. So I have lived through a few recessions, like I said, and tons of job loss post-recession. My grandfather lived through a depression and then also like, like immigrated from a country where he didn't have any type of stability to a country where he had all this opportunity to, to do things for himself and his family. And I think the intense frugality is really, really stifling. I think there were a lot more things that he could have done and experiences he could have had and things that he maybe wished he had done that the frugality of the depression kind of taught him to avoid. So I try and be mindful of that because I can definitely be stingy. So I try and be like, I try and be aware of like, if this is something I want, this thing I want to do, it's something that's important to me, it's important to my partner, it's important to my family and my friends. Like it's, it's worth, it's worth spending money on. It's hard for me to, to justify some things because I get a little spooked about whether or not I'm making an irresponsible choice sometimes. Um, for instance, I, I mentioned that I live in Colorado because I like to do all the things Colorado has to offer. Same with Vermont and all those sports and hobbies are so expensive. But those to me are experiences that are worth paying for for me. And even though sometimes they're a big hit, it's totally worth it. Well, and I think what you're talking about is really our money mindset. And I talk about this a lot in my work mm -hmm. and on the show is the idea that like take your grandfather, his frugality actually helped him get to where he mm -hmm. was. And occasionally you notice that his frugality maybe allowed him or he missed an opportunity because of his frugality. And it, it sounds like for you, yeah. it's just kind of trying to figure those pieces out. So, you know, it sounds like your grandfather was a huge influencer, really got you excited about money, about real estate, about long-term investing in a regular basis. And all of those things are things that many, many people out there, especially women didn't get. So kudos to grandpa mm -hmm. uh, for that. One of the things that's really interesting is when we started talking initially, you said to me, you know, why do you want to interview me? I'm not in diversity and inclusion. Like it's not my job description, right? It's something that mm -hmm. you do because of who you are, what you're passionate about. You want to have a better world for yourself, your partner, people around you. And so it got me to thinking, what can people do when it's not in their job description, which most of us don't have it in our job description. So do you have a tip or two about what people could do in order to be more inclusive in their world? And it, especially when it comes to queer women? Oh, yes, I do. Um, I thought a lot about this. It's tough because there's like a pre-COVID world and then a post-COVID world. And in the pre-COVID world, something that I found to be really influential was just pride stickers. You can buy 500 of them in a roll. You can buy pride pins, so those rainbow pins, rainbow stickers, any rainbow paraphernalia that you like, and stick it on your name badge at work. Stick it on your cubicle, on your desk, on your office door. It just lets people know that you are a safe space and you are somebody who won't make judgments about who they spent their weekend with and what they do in their free time. I think those little symbols of inclusion are so powerful. So something I've been working to do is adding my pronouns to any correspondence I have, all of my email accounts, everything I do, I want my pronouns to be very visible. And my goal there, and this is coming from conversations with people who are non-binary, who don't use she, her, he, him pronouns. My goal there is to make it safe for that person to identify their pronouns to me because they know it's something I care about. So I'm trying to do a better job of that. I think there's 
sometimes pushbacks in organizations with your teammates, with your colleagues about, do we really need to do this? And the answer is that yes, we do. If I don't feel comfortable being visible and who I am, I can't expect the person I work with to feel the same way. And especially for people in leadership positions who are looking at people who report up to them, it's such a powerful move to be to be supportive of your team. I think that there's there's just a lot of room to create visible inclusion by just using cues such as pronouns and pride flags that I think can go such a long way. Because I know when I was fresh out of college and interviewing a job, seeing like the, the safe space triangle on the door of an office or seeing that a company was working to be on the human rights campaign list of corporate equality index companies that were striving towards equality in their workplace. I mean, that's huge. It immediately lets you know they care about me and they care about who I am at work. Well, and I love those ideas because first of all, they're impactful to who we want to be impactful mm -hmm. to. But second of all, they're very doable. It's a very doable yeah. thing to put stickers at work or, you know, on your name tag. It's a doable thing to put your pronouns on your LinkedIn profile or your other profiles. And so thank you for that. Cause I think they're really things that everybody who's listening in can actually take action in action on today. Mm -hmm. So we could talk on and on and on. It's a big topic. And I want to give you kind of the last word as to, is there one thing you want to leave the audience with when it comes to the work that you do and who you are in this world as it relates to finance? I think learning is critical to picking up where you think you might have a gap in your understanding of finance and investment in terms of like your personal financial well-being it feels super unapproachable for whatever reason it just feels like a it's a taboo subject it's scary and i think that just starting that first step of empowering yourself can be huge it's as, it's as simple as finding the best-selling books on personal finance and just picking one up listening to the audiobook but i think what can be a more approachable way to do it is to find a mentor I know for me, when I wanted to buy a rental property, just finding somebody else who I knew had done it and talking to them and being able to ask them like all the nitty gritty questions, like even the really dumb stuff was so helpful because as a woman and as a queer person, when you walk into a room and you're like, I think I'm going to make a fool of myself and I'm going to misrepresent everything about myself. It's, it's really scary. And I think that finding that mentor, even finding a YouTube channel where you can get really good explanations of something that you're interested in pursuing in terms of your financial well-being, just, just start gaining the knowledge and you'll be amazed at how much you can, how much you can speak about and learn about a topic really quickly if you're interested in it and it's important to you. And just that first step of finding a mentor or finding a knowledge base is, is scary, but that's just where you have to start. So basically breaking money silence with someone and saying, help me, I'm interested in this. Teach me more. Yes. Excellent. Yes. And you're, yeah. And the last thing I would say is your mentor doesn't have to be like the most successful person you've ever met. It just needs to be somebody who's like doing something that you'd like to learn more about. Great point. You don't have to be a professional in it to make a difference. And so yeah. if someone wanted to continue the conversation with you, Rose, where might they contact you or find out more about what you're up to? I started blogging about real estate investing at real-real-realestateinvesting, uh, working on that <laughs> handle. I wanted to talk more about real estate investing as a woman um, and also just kind of provide some guidance to people because I answer a lot of questions for other people that are interested and I thought consolidating everything would make sense. I know you have the link for that, but you can also find me on LinkedIn by my full name. 
and I'm I'm really happy to talk to people about what they're trying to pursue next. I find myself impromptu mentoring a lot of people about real estate investing, whether they're doing it to buy a primary residence, they're trying to um, invest in a rental property. It's something I'm really excited about and I'll never be bored of answering your questions. So that's definitely where you can find me. Great. Well, we will make sure all those links are there so people can just click through and get in touch with your blog and get in touch with you. And I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time today to break money silence with me and teach me a little bit about how to be more inclusive. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Kathleen. I think this is such an important conversation to have, and it means a lot that you're taking the time to talk to queer people about their, their financial well-being life. It, it just says so much about what you're doing. So we will continue the conversation, Rose. Thanks again. This episode is sponsored by Copperleaf Financial. Held to the fiduciary standard of care, Copperleaf develops a financial plan specifically for you, integrating every aspect of your life. They offer comprehensive wealth planning services, including sustainable investing solutions. To find out more, visit copperleaffinancial.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.